Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm an infant and child sleep consultant. And today we're going to be talking all about the sleep training controversy. I tackle that, I wanted to just share a little bit about what's been going on for me and my family. I haven't shared a lot with you guys throughout this quarantine time. It's, I guess, because it's been kind of a roller coaster of good days and bad days, and I'm sure you can all relate to that. You know, I'm a stepmom. I have my husband's two children that live with us full time, like 99% of the time, 10 and 12 year old. And I'll be real honest with you guys. It's It's been rough. I've been really stressed. Like I've done a lot of work in my life because I, I struggle with anxiety and I've done a lot of work on um, working on my own anxiety and working on my own stress levels and how can I reduce that. And I've had to pull out all the stops to try to reduce the stress level during this time for myself because I... You know, being with kids 24-7 that are not mine has been really tough. And my husband works out of the home, so he's usually gone by 6 or 7 a.m. before they even wake up. And then he usually gets home around, oh, like between 1 and 3. So, you know, in the morning is when all the schoolwork happens. It's when chores happen. And just trying to get them to focus and get that stuff done it's been rough. So, you know, I, I really like when people who podcast share their personal life because I think it helps relate. And I guess being a stepmom makes me a little more sensitive to sharing about my family, but I'm sure there's step parents out there who are listening and can relate that, you know, raising someone else's kids is really, really hard work. And I did not sign up for 24 seven, um, step parenting, you know, and, um, it's been something, man. It's really been something. But I feel like I have been able to keep my cool for the most part. Um, I've definitely lost it on them way more than I normally would. But I think at the end of the day, like this quarantine, I see that it's just been hard on everyone, right? It's been hard on myself and my husband. It's been hard on my kids. And when you're stuck together in the house 24-7, it's really hard to have empathy and compassion. So all these things that I talk about on my podcast about listening and validating and having empathy for your child and helping them regulate emotions, it's really hard to practice that in real life when you're in a quarantine situation. So I guess I just wanted to share that with you guys because even though I share all these tips with you and ideas about parenting and about sleep. You know, these are kind of like ideals to work towards. Uh, Knowing that life is weird and life is stressful and things can change in a heartbeat. I mean, who would have thought we'd be in quarantine for God? I mean, it's probably been what, like 10 or 11 weeks, maybe longer. If you would have told us that at the beginning of the year, I don't know if anyone would have actually believed it. So I guess the message I'm trying to send with sharing all of this is just to be be easy on yourself because this is such an unprecedented time 
None of us could have predicted this. None of us could have planned for this. There's no guidebook for living through a quarantine. So, you know, just keep doing the best you can. There will be there, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. We're getting a little bit in Illinois, at least we're getting a little bit of a, a lift of the strict um, stricter measures that they had in place. We're going to be able to um, some restaurants, patios will open. Um, we're going to be able to go to some more businesses. We'll be able to gather in groups of 10 or less. So some restrictions are being lifted. Certainly some of you parents will be going back to work and having to deal with that transition with your children. So just wanted to mention that as well, because this is going to be another transition for families and expect some separation anxiety for sure. Expect some sleep regressions if you are going back to work or your child is going back to daycare or, or a babysitter or nanny share. Definitely prepare yourself for some regressions with sleep for your child just needing you more. Because like with any big life change, your child needs you more through those times. They need to see that you're there for them when they really need you. It's all about the attachment between you and your child. So keep that in mind and be, be sort of mentally prepared that your child is going to need you a little more and going to be maybe a little more clingy and needy increase of tantrums. You know, anytime there's a big change, especially with smaller kids who cannot communicate their emotions very well or don't have really good ways of kind of emptying those out of their bodies, tantrums are the way that they do that. So just wanted to mention that because I think it's really important to keep in mind that this is going to be another big transition for families. You know, the sort of gradual return back to whatever the new normal life is going to be for us. With that being said, I wanted to get into my topic today, which is sleep training. Oh my gosh, this is probably the most controversial topic in my industry. And it's just because there's so much misinformation out there. So I wanted to help today with kind of sorting through the basics. What is it? Why is it so controversial? What are some of the myths? And then if you do choose to sleep train your child... How can you do it in a way that's actually going to be the, the kindest and most effective way for you and your child? What is sleep training? Sleep training, this is my own definition that I just made up. Sleep training is teaching a baby or child to fall asleep without parental assistance. And there are many different methods of sleep training, which I will mention a little bit later in this podcast. A, a question that I get a lot is, do you do you do sleep training? So do do all sleep consultants do sleep training? Because I think to me, sleep training, sleep consultant and cry it out are kind of like synonymous with each other. And that's absolutely 100% incorrect. Those three topics have pretty much nothing to do with each other besides the fact that they all have sleeping in common. I do not sleep train children. I don't use the conventional methods or the you know, I like to call them cookie cutter methods of sleep training. Now, do I use some elements of some of the methods that are very popular or well-known? Yes, I do. Because once you get all the foundations in place, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment, what are the foundations for healthy sleep? Sometimes what you have left is a child who everything else is in place, but they simply have no idea how to fall asleep on their own. Sometimes you need to use um method of intervention there and it can it's a huge range of methods that you can choose from and it does not have to be a black and white issue you can there's a big area of gray there within sleep training and sleep training methods 
that you can choose from to help your child learn how to fall asleep and fall back to sleep on their own. First of all, why is sleep training so controversial? Some of the reasons I thought of. One of the main ones is, especially when you're talking about cry it out, it can be considered cruel and abusive. I think I mentioned this in one of my early podcasts that a lot of the studies that are cited when people talk about that this is cruel and it's damaging to children um, are actually studies that were done in orphanages with large numbers of children who were unattended by a small amount of caregivers and children who were just left to cry without their basic needs being met, particularly with attachment and attachment to a primary figure. So these are children who are kind of just left completely on their own. Of course, your child in their own secure home with attachment to you is not in the same situation as a child in an orphanage. So that's why I wanted to mention this again, because sleep training and cry it out are not the same things. And even if you do choose to use cry it out or extinction with your child, it's a personal choice. There's no evidence to support that it's long-term damaging to children. They've, they have done studies of children. I think it's five. I can't remember. It's five years. I think it's six years later about their emotional health and their developmental health. And they were completely in line with other children of their age who had not experienced extinction or cry it out sleep training. Different methods may not work for every child and family. So I think because, you know, this is what happens. So your cousin, Jenny, she does um, the Ferber method with her child. And oh my gosh, it works like a miracle within three days. The child is sleeping through the night. They don't really have to go in very much and soothe the child. And so Jenny tells you all about it once you have your baby and you call her and say, oh my gosh, we're having such a hard time with sleeping with little Johnny. And she tells you, well, try this method. It works really well. And you try it and it, it's a total failure. And there can be many reasons for that. It can be because of it doesn't match with your child's temperament. It doesn't match with your own tolerance to crying. It doesn't match with your child's age and developmental stages where they're at. And also, honestly, a lot of these methods don't really work because parents don't consistently do them night after night after night. When you are practicing a method of sleep training or any kind of sleep work, when you're making a change with your child with sleep, You've got to be 100% consistent. Now, there's exceptions to this. If your child is having a particularly rough time, if your child is ill, if your child is teething, of course, you pause whatever work you're doing and you comfort your child. But then you go back, once your child is feeling better, then you go back to consistently doing what you were doing before. This is a big reason why lots of different sleep work fails. When I take on a client, I really try to stress to them that no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, you've got to be consistent with it. And you and your spouse or you and your co-parent have to be on the same page with the choices that you're making to respond to your child. I think it's really controversial because parents end up really frustrated because they are not getting those foundations in place before they start the method of helping their child fall asleep on their own. So what are the foundations that need to be in place before you start any kind of sleep work or sleep training? The schedule needs to be down. The schedule should be age appropriate for your child. Your child should be going to bed at an age appropriate time and used to going to bed at an age appropriate time. Your child should be taking the age appropriate number of naps, or if not, you should be moving their bedtime earlier. 
another big part of the puzzle that people don't talk about a lot is your child should be waking up at an age appropriate time so that you can start the schedule at a correct time and then bedtime falls into the correct time zone. Between six and seven is a really good wake up time for most children. Now there are the exceptions with some families who are on a a later schedule or some children who are just later sleepers. But for the most part, if you want your child to fall asleep at an age appropriate time at bedtime, they should be waking between six and seven in the morning. Another big cause is underlying issues. So is there separation anxiety going on? It could be developmental. It could be related to stress or big transitions within the home. Like I was just talking about when, you know, parents are going back to work after the COVID quarantine, expect there to be some sleep regression and don't expect sleep training to take hold at at a time like that. If your child has medical issues such as reflux or sleep apnea, you're really doing a big disservice to all of you guys, because you're just going to have such an excess of crying and upset that you don't need to have. So taking care of whatever those underlying issues are first, and then then you can start to do sleep work. The sleep environment is huge. I, I like a broken record on this. It should be very, very dark. It should be um, quiet and quiet means white noise of some kind so that it blocks out outside noises that can wake your child when they're in those lighter stages of sleep or in the early morning when they're, you know, very prone to sleeping lighter. It should be a correct temperature, which is, you know, this is variable, but anywhere between like 66 to 71, 72, depending on your own comfort level in your home, your baby's comfort level, but that's about the range that it should be in. Typically, I keep my home between 67 to 70, 71 at night, depending on if we have the heat or the air conditioning on. Um, Your child's activity level is a big contributor to whether or not they're going to be able to be tired enough to sleep all night long or to fall asleep. So at a time like this, when children have reduced activity level because of quarantine, particularly back in the earlier months of this, now it's a little nicer outside. So we're able to all get outside a little bit more. But still, we don't have the stimulation. Our children don't have the activities that they had. They don't have the social interaction and the stimulation. They can't go climb up on the playground and play. So it's going to be our job as parents to get our children enough activity during the day to the best of our ability so that they're tired enough to sleep. Emotional well-being and attachment, you know I talk about this a lot. Your child's emotional needs, your child's attachment needs with you, their connection with you needs to be um, met as much as possible during the day so that they're able to feel safe and secure enough to fall asleep. And this is particularly if you're trying to do any kind of sleep training. Your child sleep training or, you know, gradually reducing your parental involvement or parental intervention, as I like to call it. It's really all about trust. Your child needs to develop trust that when you leave, if they need you, you will come back. And to me, all the methods of sleep training are various ways of teaching a child. Yes, I'll come back when you need me. So having that attachment met and the connection met during the day is just going to make all of this that much easier because your child won't be looking for that during the night. And if your child is anxious in any way about the attachment, it's going to be that much harder for them to settle down and calm down. And particularly if you're trying to get them to fall asleep on their own, it's going to be really difficult. So making sure you get that connection time in, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, just get the one-on-one time, quality time with your child that you can spare during the day. 
Developmental milestones are going to affect sleep and your child's ability to sleep long stretches during the night. If your child is going through a stage where they're learning how to crawl or they're learning how to pull up or sit up, most likely they're going to probably have some more sleep disturbances during the night because of brain activity and also because of some separation anxiety that usually comes along with some of these stages. And then they're going to also want to play and practice their new skills while they're supposed to be sleeping because it's so much more fun than sleeping. So if your child's going through a period like that, definitely don't want to start sleep work then. You want to wait until that period has passed and they're sleeping a little more, they're settling a little more easily. Are your child's nutritional needs met? Are they getting enough food during the day so that they don't need to wake multiple times for food at night? And realistic expectations on this, you know, babies up to nine, sometimes to 12 months still need a feeding during the night. So this is something you definitely want to talk to your pediatrician about to make sure that your child is growing and gaining weight and talking to them about dropping feedings is really important. And then stress in the home is another cause of wakings and having difficulty falling asleep for your child. Just because children pick up on the stress, whether or not they understand what's going on, they can feel the tension and the stress in the home and it makes it harder for them to settle at night. So those are some of the things that we want to think about before we even start considering what kind of sleep training to do or should I do sleep training. That's like a little checklist of things that you should have in place before you start thinking about any kind of behavioral sleep work with your child. I think timing is really important with this kind of work. Now, of course, this isn't always going to happen, but I think the ideal time to try any kind of method of encouraging self-soothing is not when you're totally at the end of your rope with your child's sleep and totally frazzled and exhausted. It's better to start as early as possible with this, not waiting until you know you have a major sleep challenge going on, because then there's usually a lot of things that need to be undone or fixed or changed before you can even get to the behavioral sleep work. Once you get into a situation like that where you're just all exhausted and really frazzled, it makes it a lot harder to do this kind of work and to be patient with it because it does require some patience and to be consistent with it and not just cave and give in because you're exhausted. Another thing to keep in mind is that sleep training or any kind of sleep work is not one and done. So a lot of people think, well, once I train my baby to sleep through the night, I'll put them in the room, I'll let them cry, and then they'll be able to sleep through the night. Wrong. Even adults wake up multiple times a night. It's just part of our natural sleep cycle. And your child is going to wake up at different periods in their growth and development. They're going to wake up during the night for various reasons. And even a child who 100% knows how to fall asleep on their own, like you can put them down, walk out of the room, they go to sleep on their own within five to 10 minutes. Even those children are going to have periods where they have difficulty falling asleep or difficulties some nights with going back to sleep on their own without some help from you. Another thing to keep in mind is that for some children, I think um, in my research for this podcast, I think I read in one article, they said maybe 20% of children, which is a lot. Sometimes nothing works. Sometimes you could try three or four different methods and it's just not going to work. And those are usually children with a more willful temperament. Sometimes there's nothing they can do, you can do for them. They just want what they want to fall asleep. So the right age to begin sleep training, that's a big question that I get. I would never start sleep training a baby before four months of age. And that is 
a real general age in almost all cases, four to six months. So there is that four month sleep regression where your child's uh, sleep changes pretty drastically. And you'll notice that that's happening because your child will probably start waking more during the night for a little period of time. They might also start consolidating their naps or they might have difficulty napping suddenly. So it's usually the increase in night waking that's a kind of a flag for this sleep regression. And it's just because your baby's sleep is kind of organizing in a different way in their brain. Their circadian rhythms are starting to drive sleep. Their biological drive for sleep is starting to drive sleep a lot more than just eat, sleep, wake, eat, sleep, wake that a newborn does. The only exception to this is you can begin using a gradual fading method for smaller babies if you want to reduce the amount of intervention in putting them to sleep. For instance, if you are feeding your baby to sleep 100% of the time and you'd rather start stepping down from that, you can do something like feeding them and then gently waking them a little bit and placing them in their crib. Or some parents will feed and then they'll rock their baby to sleep and put them in the crib. And so then they want to start by feeding and then just standing still and placing the baby in the crib. So you can see how it's a very gradual method. It takes a long time to do this type of method. But to me, this is the most gentle way of teaching a child how to sleep by themselves. And keep in mind with any of these methods, it's going to depend on so many factors whether or not this works and how long this is going to take. Some methods of sleep training. I just talked a little bit about fading. Gradually doing less and less of the work to put your baby to sleep or your child to sleep. Reducing the amount of time you're soothing your child is another example of fading. So if you usually rock your child for 10 minutes, then you reduce it down to five minutes a, a week or two later. And then once they're comfortable with that, you reduce it a little more and a little more so that your child is gradually learning how to soothe themselves, but you're still there with them 100% of the time. As I said, this is not for impatient people. This can take weeks and weeks. But this is a, the most gentle way to do any sort of behavioral sleep work. There's the pick up, put down method. So that would be putting your baby down to sleep awake. And then when they become upset, you pick them up and comfort them until they're calm enough to go back down into the crib. And then you repeat and repeat until your baby falls asleep. The only issue with this is this is pretty much for you know younger babies, I would say six to maybe 10, 11 months old. After a year, this just might be too much. And for some babies, no matter what age they are, it just might be too stimulating having you there and having you constantly picking up, putting down. One disclaimer I want to say is with any of these methods, you want to be sure that you really, you get the book and you really read through the whole book. Because if you do read through the books on these methods, you will see that there are chapters way before you get to how to actually implement these methods all about the foundations that I talked about earlier. A lot of the controversy I think with Cry It Out is because people just wanna skip ahead to how do I do this method without reading all those previous chapters that teach you this is what you need to do in order for this method to be effective and to be the least amount of crying and you know just kind of upset for you and your child, you need to have A, B, C, D all in place before that. Even with Dr. Mark Weisblue's book, Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child, that's the one that has the extinction method in it. He has chapters way before he gets to what the method is and how to do extinction and how to let your child cry it out that teach you all about getting the schedule correct, 
getting the sleep environment correct, how important those things are before you try any method of behavioral sleep training. So that's something I think that makes sleep training so controversial because as parents that are exhausted and we're busy and we're crunched for time, we just want to skip ahead to how do I actually do this? And we miss out on some of the most important parts of this process, which is all the foundations that need to be laid before any of this will actually be successful. Controlled crying is another one. This is checking in at different intervals and there's various methods of this. Some is just a check-in where you poke your head in and say something like a little script that you say every time. Some of it's actually going in and patting your child and then leaving. So there's many different methods of controlled crying. And then you gradually increase the time between checks with some of these methods. There's the chair method or sleep lady shuffle where you gradually move your chair or if you're laying on the floor or if you're laying on your child's bed, you're gradually moving away from your child to the middle of the room and then eventually out of the room. So it's teaching them how to fall asleep with your presence, but maybe not you completely right next to them or laying in their bed or touching them. And then there's extinction or cry it out. This is letting your baby cry for a predetermined amount of time. And then there's so many different versions of all of these methods. Every, you know, quote unquote, sleep expert or sleep guru has their own book, big book. I have a lot of them here. And there's some big books and they go into a lot of detail. The nice thing about the books is that they do have some troubleshooting tips. So how to work with common issues that pop up when you're trying to do any of these methods. So some common myths about sleep training. Sleeping through the night is not a developmental milestone. So if your baby is not sleeping through the night at six months, 12 months, 18 months, there's nothing wrong with your baby. You aren't doing anything wrong. Sleeping is something that's learned and it's so closely tied to development, it's not a linear process. It's not something that your child is just going to learn how to do and then they're going to be perfect at it. Are those are there those exceptions to this? Yes. You know, I was a nanny for many years and there was those one or two kids that just loved to sleep and were awesome sleepers 95% of the time. But I would say out of the 10 or 11 children that I nannied over all those years, it was probably two of those kids. And I would say one of them continued. Uh, I have one in mind and he is, he's going to be five soon. And he is still an awesome sleeper. He just loves to sleep, but he's the exception to the rule, not the norm. So there's nothing wrong with your baby if they're not sleeping through the night. There is so many different reasons why children wake during the night And some of them have nothing to do with not knowing how to fall back to sleep on their own. You know, children are not independent beings. They need us very much. And especially in particular stages during sleep regressions or during big developmental periods or times of change, your child just needs you during the night. Um, The night is a very vulnerable time. You know, it's quiet. There's no distractions. It's dark. It makes a lot of sense that our children would want to reach out to us for some support if they're feeling anxious or, or worried at this time. So another myth, my child will learn to sleep on their own eventually. Maybe, maybe not. The thing I will say is if it's affecting your well-being now, then the time to address the situation is now. Whatever your age your child is, if your child's inability to fall asleep on their own, if they're taking 
an hour or two to fall asleep and you just can't take it anymore. The time to address that is now. If you don't care that you have to rock your two-year-old for half an hour every night to put them to sleep, then continue to do what you're doing. There is nothing wrong with what you're doing. If it's working for you and your child and your family, then continue to do it until it doesn't work anymore. So it's not unusual for five, six, seven-year-olds to still wake up multiple times a night and need parents rocking or holding or laying next to them to go back to sleep. So if you don't want to end up in this situation, then the time to address helping your child learn how to fall asleep a little bit easier on their own is younger. You know, the younger your child is, the easier it will be to implement some of these, you know, before they can talk back, before they can come up with a million excuses at night, before they can come out of bed 30 times a night. You, you can start to get healthy habits and foundations in place well before that all starts to happen so that when it does happen, you can just fall back on what you were doing. And the hope is that your child will catch on much quicker. If you already have certain routines in place, the hope is that your child will just catch on to, oh, this is what we've always done. If you've done it consistently and we'll get through whatever the rocky period they're having and then start sleeping a lot better again. Another myth is that sleep training is for parents and that it's selfish. So a child who's waking multiple times a night or can't go back to sleep at all without 100% parental presence or rocking or holding needs some help. Imagine being that child and being completely unable to fall back to sleep on your own without your parents and needing to call out to them every single time. That child is not getting rest. That child is not happy. Your child needs intervention if that's happening. And certainly there can be many reasons for waking multiple times a night that need to be investigated. But if you have investigated all those foundations and your child is, you believe, just waking because they don't know how to fall back to sleep on their own, then you might want to look into addressing that issue and what would work best for your family and your child. So another myth is I have to sleep train my child in order for my child to be a good sleeper. That's not right either. You can simply just gradually withdraw your level of intervention at your own pace throughout your child's development. Whatever feels good and appropriate to you and natural to you and your child, that's what you should do. If you want to use this gradual method, then definitely do that. This is for parents that are able to put in the time of maybe sitting in the room with their child until they fall asleep, until their child is a little bit older, and then they can gradually withdraw, you know, where they're at, whether that's physically moving or whether that's kind of stepping down uh, the amount of work that you're doing. Like I mentioned earlier, the fading technique, where maybe you're doing something for less amount of time. So what is the answer to all of this? Well, my answer that I give clients is to do what works for your child and your family until it stops working. I say this quite a bit on this podcast. You know, if rocking your toddler to sleep works and they can sleep relatively well and then continue to do that, all of the research shows that you'll be fine and your baby will be fine no matter which way you go. There is no definitive research one way or the other that strongly says sleep training is terrible for your child or that sleep training is the only way to get a child to sleep through the night. 
neither one of those things is true. So as I said earlier, there's a lot of gray area here. And what the gray area is, is what feels good to you and your child. So this week, my reflection is about sleep training, but really about, you know, anything that has to do with parenting. And particularly, I think with, um, with parents of babies, there's a lot of advice out there and suggestions. And as I said earlier, something that works for you or your cousin may not work for someone else. So my reflection this week is, am I doing what I feel and know is right for my child and family? Or am I making decisions based on outside pressures? So think about this if you are thinking about implementing um, some sort of sleep training for your child. And think about if you really, if it's what you really want to do, if you really believe that your child does need it, or if you want to try a more gradual method with your child and maybe try that first. And if that doesn't work, then you might want to try something else. Also watch out for the shoulds. So I had a therapist who would say, you know, stop shoulding all over yourself because the shoulds are what they kind of kill our, that inner voice that's telling us this is what's correct for my, me and for my child and for my family. And when you hear a should, it kind of just stomps on that whole idea of this is how I feel and this is what my intuition is telling me. So if someone is telling you you should do something for your child, unless it's a doctor and even sometimes there's exceptions there too, right? There's always room for second opinions on things. If someone's telling you you should do something, particularly with sleep, really check in with yourself and see, is this what I really want to do? Is this correct for me and my child and my family? I hope that's been helpful for you guys. I mean, sleep training is such a huge term and it's such a loaded word or such a loaded term. I tried to just give kind of a really well-rounded view of it. You know, I personally just believe that it's really, really important to get the foundations in place before you consider anything else. If I could stress anything to you as a sleep consultant, it would be make sure all that checklist of things is in place before you think about doing any of these methods. Because that's the thing about holistic sleep work. I investigate what are the root causes of the sleep challenges. And not, most, most of the time, they're much bigger ideas than my child just doesn't know how to fall asleep on their own. There's usually a lot more underlying issues and it just takes a, a little bit of a closer look at the schedule and the environment and things like that to, to identify those areas. And then once those things are in place, if your child is still having trouble and struggling, then it's time to look at what method can I use or what method do I feel comfortable with? All right. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Join me next week for another brand new show. If you love The Little Sleep Show and want to share it with another parent or share it on your social media, I would be so grateful. My mission is just to spread the word and give this information to as many parents and caregivers as possible. All right. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.